Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Well, so glad you're here. You can be seated. We're going to continue to worship the Lord, but we're going to worship him with our tithes and offerings. There's an interesting verse in Exodus chapter 25. It says this, it says, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them. It's interesting. God is not forcing any of us to give. He says, give what I've prompted. Now, I know what I was like as a kid. I know what my kids are like. And sometimes, have you, have you ever been guilty of trying to not be present so your parents could tell you when curfew would be? Or to, 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 to just, you know, like, you know that they might say, so you don't ask. And then you can say, well, they didn't say. We don't have to feel that way when it comes to giving. Because the Bible says that when we give, he pours out the blessing on us. There isn't a downside, but I want to encourage you, don't, don't read that or hear that and think, okay, if I, if I quickly go on and think about something else that he won't have a chance to ask me, pray about it, ask, say, God, what would you have me give? And then do it and see that his blessing will come on you. Let's pray for the offering. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to give, to sow into your kingdom to be a part of what you're doing here in this community as well as around the world. Lord, we pray that this gift would be a sweet offering unto you, Lord, that we would be prioritizing you in our lives. We just thank you for it. We thank you for this opportunity. We declare blessing over every gift and every giver. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as they pass the buckets, um, I'm going to give you the announcements. And really, I have one mega announcement for you today. If you remember one of them, this is the one I want you to remember, and that is that um, our powerhouse Christmas is coming up. You say, what's powerhouse? Have you ever noticed the, the orange truck out front that says powerhouse on the side? That has been the name that we have given to our outreach into the community. We had, um, pre-COVID, we had uh, sidewalk Sunday school with that truck. Um, we're looking for volunteers to restart that this summer. If that God puts that on your heart, come and talk to us. But um, each year, we have been working with the community and with the people that have been a part of that ministry over the years, and we'd like to do something big for the families in our community on Christmas. And this 17th, so next Saturday, will be um, that date. We rely on your donations to help those families with their Christmas giving each year. So please take a look back there. We're looking for, if you can do it a couple of different ways. You can just bring us gift cards to Walmart or Meyer. $25 is the preferred amount. You can go shopping for some one, an unwrap, bring us unwrapped presents for boys or girls. Um, they have a list there of the ages that they want. Again, we'll shoot for around 25. Or you can just give, even in not, not a round 25 number, but give towards or give over that amount so that we can go shopping for them. 
and we'll do that. But please, consider doing something um, because we want to make this as special as possible. We're going to be doing this event on Saturday. We know there will be many families. I think there's 17 different families from the community, and most of them don't have just one kid. So there's a lot of kids that are going to be a part of this, and we are excited to do it again this year. Thank you for what you've already done, and thank you for what you will be doing when you ask the Holy Spirit and he tells you what to do. So it's not me. I don't have to worry about it. Okay. Ooh, this third Friday. That didn't make my list, but we do need to hear about it. So this Friday is the third Friday singles group Christmas party. It's right here at 6 o'clock. So for all of you singles out there, Christmas party opportunity um, on Friday. Thank you, Ingrid. Um, all right. So as we get into today's message, I want to open with Jeremiah 29.11. It says, and you know that God anointed Jesus Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and then went around doing good and healing. You know, that is not Jeremiah 29, 11. <laughs> That's what I meant. It, it's, it, it, I have it written down right in Spanish, though. It says, because you know, um, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to bless you, and plans of good and not harm, plans to give you a future and a hope. I apologize, I translated that from Spanish. The Bible says God has plans for you. How many of you agree with that scripture? God has plans. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He has plans. He has good plans. He doesn't shift back and forth like shadows. We recognize that. We know that. Now, if you and I believe that God has plans for us, what do we do when we learn those plans? I want to go to David, the story of David. 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 3. I'm going to read a lot today because we're going to be reading that story. I, I encourage you, read about David in the Bible. There's so many... Bible stories we know um, from, from childhood, and oftentimes they're all contained within one chapter, the entire story of a person. But David, he is, his story is so complete. There's so much detail about what happened in his life. It takes up multiple, he, he keeps appearing multiple books, all of 1 Samuel. He's in 2 Samuel. He's all over the place. So, 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 3 says, The Lord said to Samuel, this is the prophet, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Saul had disobeyed God, and God had told Samuel, You know that plan that I told you before to use Saul and to, to make a dynasty out of him? That plan has changed. He disobeyed. Now someone else will be king. And he says, how long will you be mourning over the fact I rejected him as king? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you. 
and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, oh, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse had Shammah pass, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all your sons? Oh, there, there is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So they sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now, it's interesting that David, we know, we, we, we have the benefit of hindsight. How many of you wish you had the benefit of hindsight all the time? We have the benefit of hindsight. We see, we know what David's going to become. We know all the ways that God is going to use him. We can, it's just obvious, David. But his dad didn't even invite him to the party. His dad assumed that any one of his other seven brothers would be it. David writes in Psalms, he says, that he was conceived in sin. Many people believe that David may have even been the child of an affair. And that's why the, the Jesse didn't want to invite him. Don't know for sure. But David was brought before Saul, Samuel. Samuel anointed him king. This is before David and Goliath. This is when he was so young that he wasn't even allowed to participate in war. When, when the Philistines came, all of the grown brothers had to go. He didn't. You remember later, he was bringing the food to his brothers. It was bread and cheese, pizza without the sauce. And he brought it to his brothers. He was, we don't know exactly how old he was, but he hadn't gone through purity yet and become a man. So he was probably... 12, 13, when this, when this happened, he might have been even younger. But God told him, you will be king. Proverbs 27 says, let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider and not your own lips. It wasn't that he exalted himself, God 
sought him out and found him. Second Samuel 7, 8 says, Now therefore says the Lord to my servant David, thus says the Lord of I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, Israel. Now, David knew he was going to be king. How many of you got that in your picture? There was a big deal. There was this entire thing. The prophet, who we noticed was well-known by everybody, that says that they got up afraid, just showing up. You ever have like the, the boss come in the room and you're just like, what do we do? Like, that's what they had. He came. There was this big thing. David knew he was supposed to be king. But he couldn't say anything yet because Saul would get jealous. We have the story of David and Goliath. You guys know that, that part of the story. Then in 1 Samuel chapter 18, says, when returning home after David had, been, had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all of the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres, and they danced and they sang. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with ten thousands, he thought, but with me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Another word or another translation says, and it entered the heart of Saul. He became jealous and he became upset. And he wanted to do him harm. Now, this is David who knows what his call is. He knows he's supposed to be king. Now, God started promoting him. He killed Goliath. The people are starting to realize, man, this David, he's something special. And the king wants him dead. So David has to run. And the Bible says there was a time when he, David was hiding in the desert. 1 Samuel 24, verse 1 through 4. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Saul took 3,000 men with the goal of killing David. He came to the sheep pens along the way. There was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself, and David and his men were in the far back of the cave. And the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Many of you know the story. If you didn't know the story before, this is is an interesting situation. Saul has entered the cave. David is hiding in there. And his men say this. There are th- basically, there are 3,000 people trying to protect him and to kill you. And look, none of them are in your way. You can just walk up and just kill him. You can just take what you know is yours. You can just kill him and have it. This is God's will. God wants you. That's what they said. God wants you to kill him. But David 
responded differently. The men said in verse 4 that this is God giving him to you. But then David crept up, he cut that off, and he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointing, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. There will be times when you will be tempted or other people will be tempted to say, you know what, look at how lined up this is. God must, be, must want you to attack someone, to take what's yours. That was, how many of you recognize, it was David's position. The kingship had been promised to him. Agreed? Would it have been easy to kill the king at that moment? Yeah. James chapter 1 verse 20 says, because the human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. We need to remember, when God promises something, we will not need to tear other people down to get it. Period. We will not need to tear other people down to get it. David then went out of the cave and he called to Saul. He said, my Lord King, when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself face to the ground. He said, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. We, we gotta let go and let God. Realize he's the judge. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs that you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Again, whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog, a flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he, not, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you have treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe off my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul and Saul returned home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. It's interesting. 
Saul, Saul was afraid for himself. He was afraid for his kids. He, he, he asked David to, to promise. And when we read later, we hear about David's grandson, or sorry, Saul's grandson, who David protected, who ran away not trusting in that oath that was made. If we read in scripture, almost the same thing happens again in 1 Samuel 26. In another occasion, Saul loses his patience with David and begins to pursue him. Jealous, angry, upset, trying to kill him. And again, David has an opportunity to take Saul out. And again, the men with David say, this is what God wants you to do. All you have to do to get what you want is to take him down. All you have to do is tear him down, kill him, and then everything that you've been promised is yours. This must be what God wants. Verse 9, but David said to Abishai, destroy him? Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now, get the spear, the water jug, that are near his head, and let's go. So David took the spear and water jug, because they snuck in while they were sleeping, near Saul's head, and they left. No one saw it or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping, because the Lord had put him in a deep sleep. Two times David had a chance. Both times the people next to him said, it's so easy. If it's that easy, it must be God. Just, just take him down. But David resisted every time. I, I'm always looking for ways to help us remember the, the lessons and remember the points and use illustrations. Years ago... Um, I had the idea of writing a children's book, a series of children's books. And my plan was this. How many of you have ever sat and read a Bible story to your kids? And you, you, you look at the pictures. So I had this, this idea. What if there was a children's book and the pictures, there, there was a story, I'd write these stories about animals that appear in, in the Bible times, and the pictures would coincide with the Bible story, but the story would be happening in the foreground and the pictures would be in the background. So you could have Zacchaeus climbing up in the tree and a story would be about a, a, a squirrel. You could have the, the, the rooster and you can have, in this case, a bat that lived in the cave where David was. So we're gonna, we're gonna do a children's story for a minute. How many of you guys can, can do that? But I don't have an illustrator, so I never managed to get that far. So I'll just have to tell you what the story, the pictures look like. Okay? So, open with a picture of a bat in a cave. Here's what it says. Bill was a bat in the land called Engedi. In most regards, his life was quite steady. He lived in a cave, both big and deep. Like most other bats, all day he would sleep. At night, he would fly out the mouth of his cave and spend every night eating bugs, which bats crave. Till one day some men used his cave to hide. Now the illustration, you still have the bat, but you see this group of men, which are really David and his men, coming in to hide the cave. Bill wanted to sleep, but although he sure tried, the noises and talking they made all day long kept him awake, which for a bat is all wrong. 
That eve he went out and hunted all night, since for a bat that is what's right. The following day, as he tried to sleep, more men came to the cave he wanted to weep. This is the picture of Saul and his men coming, Saul entering the front of the cave. Now there are men at both ends of my cave. How will I get the sleep I desperately crave? When another night came, the other bats woke. But Bill fell asleep until his father spoke. Bill, it's quite dark and it's time to catch flies. But Dad, he replied, I can scarce open my eyes. In the background, we would see David taking Saul's spear. Those men down below who are mostly asleep kept me awake. I heard every peep. I am so bothered. I want revenge. Let's go wake them so they too will cringe. Son, what you're saying you might think will be fun, but God will repay. You're not the one. When others offend you or do you harm, you should respond with kindness and charm. That is the way God says to behave. Taking revenge will just make you a slave. In the background, we see David sparing his life, speaking to him. Bill knew that he should obey his dad, so he let go of the plans that he had to be mean to the men who kept him awake. He saw being mean too would have been a mistake. Picture we see them shaking hands and leaving peacefully. The very next morning, the men went away, but Bill never forgot what he learned that day. We are called to leave revenge to the Lord. It's, it's, not our, it's not our place. There will be times when it looks easy, when it, times when it looks convenient. There will be times even when it seems like, well, God, but this is what you promised me, so shouldn't I just take it? Even at the cost of, of pushing someone else down? The answer is no. I want you to think about David for a second. We, we realize he learned he was supposed to be king when he was somewhere between 10 and 14 years old. Does anybody remember how old he was when he first became king? 30. David was 30, and that's when he became king of Judah. It wasn't for several more years that he became king of Israel as well and, and became king over it all. He was 30 years old. God promised him that he would be king. He had opportunities to push Saul down and take place early, but he didn't do it. I titled today, Where Does My Promotion, Where's My Promotion? Sometimes we, we, we know, you know what? I know, God, you have something for me. Don't put anyone down to get it. Psalm 75, 6 through 7 says, For promotion comes neither from the east nor the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. Acts chapter 13, 22 says, After removing Saul, God made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. I would love for God to be able to say that about me. He's a man after my own heart. Now, David wasn't perfect. He made mistakes. But he was willing 
to put even God's promises in God's hands. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I want to be clear. The promotion comes from God. I am not saying that we just sit on our hands and do nothing. Passively wait until God makes it all happen. No. David did a lot. He just didn't attack others in what he was doing. The Bible says seek first the kingdom of God. It's not being passive. It's having proper priorities. The Bible says, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Waiting on the Lord, trusting in him, isn't an exercise in laziness. I remember in, in, in my grandmother's church, she lived in a little town on the outskirts of Washington State, and, and she told me a story, and I've, I've never forgotten the story. But there was somebody in their church who read in Scripture, you know, that you could live by faith. So they quit their job, stayed home, and decided that they were just going to live by faith. And, and I, I was a young kid. I remember my, my grandmother explaining to me, you know, this man, people began to come because they felt bad for his wife and for his kids, and they started doing things, and he thought that, that this was, he thought that living it up to God and doing nothing was, was living by faith. That is not living by faith. Doing nothing. The Bible says, he who does not work should not eat. Scripture is clear. We are called to work. The Bible says, whatever you, your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. The difference is we don't attack others to put ourselves in their place. Our promotion comes from God. We don't have to put anybody else down in order to be lifted up. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. So here are a few more words from the, of, of the Lord. Another example, Joseph. Joseph in chapter 39, verse 5 of Genesis. It says, and it came about that from the time he made him overseer in the house over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. We know the story of Joseph. Joseph was the youngest of, of a bunch of brothers. And God, again, had promised him that someday your brothers and your parents will bow down to you. Remember, he gave, he gave him a dream, and he had this dream that the sun and the moon and were, the stars were, were leaning down to him, that he had these... these uh, clumps of grain that were all leaning down and he, he understood the meaning and he, you know what he did? He made one very big mistake. He went and told everybody all about it. Hey, guess what? I just had a dream. You're going to bow down to me someday. How many of you would love to hear that from your little brother? <laughs> so he told them. They got jealous. They plotted to kill him. One of his brothers 
talked them out of killing him and said, hey, let's just sell him into slavery instead. And so they did. And when he got to Egypt, the Bible says that everywhere he went was blessed because he was there. When, when as a slave, he was put in charge of Potiphar's household, all of a sudden Potiphar's household began to prosper. And in Genesis 48, 45, verse 8, when his brothers finally come and there's the giant reveal, because what happened? He got thrown in jail. Then he got taken out of jail by the king and put in charge of second in command of the most powerful nation in the world because he'd interpreted the king, king's dream, told him what to expect, famine after seven years of plenty. So they stored up and they were ready. And this is what he said to his family. He said, now therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all of Egypt. Joseph recognized God's hand was at work in all of that. He didn't seek revenge against his brothers. He sought to test their hearts, but he didn't seek revenge. 2 Timothy 24 says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men, apt to teach, and patient. We are called to work towards what God has given us. God has put in each one of you guys a plan and a purpose. I don't know what they are. We see them work out. I look out. I see business owners. I see parents. I see different jobs. And God has a call on each and every one of you. What do you do? How do you prosper in that? Do you have to scratch and push to get through? When the layoffs are coming, do you need to to make sure that you have told the, 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 the general manager how lazy so-and-so was last week when they extended their break in order to make sure that they get laid off and not you. No. You don't have to attack. Let the favor of God go before you. Positions are received, not taken. Here's the thing, you want to know that the position you have was given to you by God, not manipulated by pushing someone else down. Not only is it satisfying to watch when God brings the pieces together, but also you're at peace and you know you didn't put anyone down to get there. It's not our place to take the position. A wise person isn't the person who knows it all. A wise person is the person who finds those who know it. Solomon had many counselors. When people strive to do it themselves, to to make it themselves. The Bible says that the servant of the Lord must not strive. I was just talking with Pastor Danielle this week, 
and we were talking about the difference between striving and trusting and resting in God, and it's not laziness. Again, resting in God isn't sitting on your hands and waiting for it all to happen. But it's doing what you know to do, when you know to do it, how you know to do it, and then trusting that God will make up that difference. Not striving, not, not going to bed every night thinking, I gave my best, but I'm sure it wasn't enough. We don't have to feel that way. You don't have to feel that way. God, God has your back. When you put first the kingdom of God and all these things, he says he'll bless you. He'll add to you. You don't have to strive. Trust and do what you know. Daniel, chapter 2, verse 48, says, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. He was blessed. He's, his blessing overflowed on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many remember those three names? A lot would happen in the next little while. Here's a test to see where your heart is. What do you think and how do you feel when you see someone else promoted? When someone else gets a raise, gets a position, whether that's a coworker or a classmate gets praised, or a person pulls up in a fancy new car, or a nice outfit. What? Just don't raise your hand, don't shout it out, just be honest. What do you think? Do you think, well, good for them? Or do you think, oh, I sure they don't deserve it. What did they do? Who did they manipulate? What did they do wrong? What did they, how did they game the system to get ahead of me? Let that go. First Kings 3.10 says, The Lord was pleased with Solomon. This is when Solomon, he told Solomon, ask anything you want from me. And Solomon said, give me wisdom to fulfill the role you've given me. And he said, God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administrating justice, I will give you what you asked, and I will give you with a wise and discerning heart, so there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever will be. And then he goes on and, and promises him and gives him the wealth and all the other things that he could have asked for that he didn't ask for. Oftentimes, I have this note here, I said, I've made it clear to my kids as they were growing up many times that if you loudly scream that you want the biggest piece of cake, you don't get the biggest piece of cake. If you demand the most and the best for yourself, that 
I, I, that's the surest way to not get the biggest piece of cake. Why? Because I want to teach them that they don't get ahead by pushing other people down. Luke 1.52 says, He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. Matthew 23.12 says, Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Luke 14.11 says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Luke 18.14, I tell you, this man went up to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Over and over. 1 Peter 5.6, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Man, waiting 15 years seems like a long time. How many of you agree? Less of the gray-haired hands went up. Oftentimes, we really, we're just impatient. How many of you would agree that you're impatient? I know I'm impatient. We look at this, God has a plan. And scripture says that he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, I don't want God to be resisting my efforts. I don't want to be I want him to be giving me his grace. I don't know the timing in your life for the things that God has promised you, but here's what I believe with all my heart. That if we listen and obey and pursue with humility the things that God has promised us, they will come. If they don't come, it's because we messed it up. Probably because we got proud and tried to push other people down. I encourage you, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Our promotion comes from the Lord, not from our boss, not from our situation. If you will put first the kingdom of God and all these things, he will add unto us. How many of you believe that? I want to encourage you. God has purpose he has plans for you. There, there is promotion. There are steps. There are, are levels that you're going to be coming up into to complete what God has called you to do. Don't sit back on your hands and wait for it to happen to you. But don't fall for the devil's trick that you have to tear other people down to get it. David's mighty men were David's mighty men. They were blessings to him in most situations. But on those days, how many of you recognize they were wrong? 
They were wrong when they said, there's a shortcut, just tear them down and you can get what you're looking for. Not true. 